COVID-19 patients need your help. If you fully recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have the antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients recover. Donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today to schedule an appointment to donate blood. That's V-I-T-A-L-A-N-T dot Help save lives and schedule your appointment at Vitalant.org. You could help save lives. A different future starts with you. That's why GoDaddy does more than help you find a name. You can create, sell, and get found online so any small business can make a change. We need a new generation of thinking, your way of thinking. Start different at GoDaddy.com. This is an ode to the glass noodle. You may be glass only in name, but our love for you is crystal clear in every Bibigo Korean dumpling. Your tantalizing texture tickles the taste buds, and while you are see-through, the world can't help but see you. The glass noodle, one of many obsessively crafted ingredients in every plump and juicy Korean dumpling from Bibigo. Go handcrafted. Go Bibigo. Authentic Korean dumplings now in the freezer aisle. Welcome to episode 13 of Confessions of a Marketer. Today we're talking lessons from broadcasting. I'm Mark Reed Edwards. Welcome to another action-packed episode of Confessions of a Marketer. Anthony Rudell, who runs WCRB in Boston, is my guest. He's a legendary figure in radio and has also spent a lot of time as an author, a communications and branding consultant, and a college professor. We had a fun chat, and we'll get to it shortly. First, a program note. We have a couple of great discussions coming up. Next time, we're talking with marketing leader Julie Zadow about the role of an interim CMO. What are the unique characteristics of that type of engagement, and what kind of person is ideally suited to it? And coming up after that, we'll talk with Brian Lucid. I've known Brian for more than 20 years. He's a RISD graduate, an accomplished designer, and has a great mind for the future of design. He's now in New Zealand at Massey University, doing a lot of great work on UX and also dabbling in virtual reality and mixed reality. We had a great deep discussion about marketing, design, and the intersection with VR and MR. So stay tuned. Lots of other great discussions in the hopper as well. On to Anthony Rudell. In the interest of full disclosure, I do occasional fill-in on-air work at WCRB, Boston's classical radio station, which is part of WGBH, where Tony runs the shop. For the podcast, I wanted to understand the lessons that radio can teach us marketers. Maybe what marketers could teach radio as well. So Tony, with his distinguished career, seemed like the right one to talk with. Let's get to the discussion. Anthony Rudell, welcome to Confessions of a Marketer. Nice to be with you. So as someone who started his career in radio at a tender age and moved on to work as a communications and messaging consultant, now you find yourself back in radio. Yep. So what lessons from radio did you take to working in marketing and communications? Well, Communication, ultimately, no matter what platform it is, and that's such a lovely modern term, platform, but <laughs> whether you're uh, in radio or in speechifying or corporate communications, it's about two things, knowing your audience and knowing how to talk to your audience. Uh, 
Um, the, the question I always ask clients was, who's your audience? What do they know? And what do they need to know? And if you answer those three questions, your communication is usually sharper and stronger because you're answering the question as you're talking with your audience or talking to your audience. Um, If you put yourself on the receiving end, and I tell my air staff this always, put yourself in the car with the listener. Put yourself in the kitchen with the listener. And think of that as the discussion you're having, not as someone behind a microphone. Well, corporate communications isn't that different. Your, your vehicles are different. I had clients who would do you know, multiple mailings to people and not understand why the voice of those mailings was important. Well, it's just a letter. Right. Yes, but the letter says something about you. And the way that letter is received becomes significant. So that's the most important lesson. And I, I don't limit that to just corporate communications and radio. I think it it transverses all communication. Right. I always thought radios, to a large degree, about messaging, and the tighter the message, the better. So when you were working with clients, how did you approach messaging? Did you lean on your radio experience in that case? Well, I don't know if it's so much leaning on the radio experience as much as just leaning on basic communication experience. The best exercise I always found was giving a live speech. Right. Because you look around the room and you can see what's working and what's not working. The problem with radio, of course, is we don't see our audience. Mm -hmm. But in corporate communications and in in other forms, you sometimes see them and you sometimes don't. But the lesson that, that always comes across is, Am I being tight with my message? Not so that I'm being tight for the sake of being tight, Mm -hmm. but for the sake of clarity. Right. Where a lot of marketing professionals get all messed up is they try to embellish the language or they try to embellish the, the package that the language comes in. And that doesn't make any sense. You need to, you really need to be tight for the purposes of knowing what your message is. I mean, what was the old what was the old marketing adage that the best selling air conditioner was never the best air conditioner? Right. I mean, what was the old lesson that you know that probably Friedrich made or Carrier made the best air conditioners, but in the 1960s and 70s, the best selling air conditioner was the Emerson, which is a brand most people have never heard of today. But right. the reason it was so successful back then is because they called it the Emerson Quiet Cool which in three words tells you who it is, what it does, and how it do it. Right, right. <laughs> I always thought that's the height of efficiency. Yeah. So, yes, your message has to be tight. I always told clients, don't sacrifice richness of communication for the sake of just being tight, for the sake of being tight. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I find I use my radio experience every day, whether I'm writing something or thinking about the structure of a marketing program, whatever it is. I think it really teaches you to be concise. And, uh, you know, our discussion just now pretty much confirms that. But do you find that as well? Yeah, absolutely. The beauty of radio is, I mean, I used to have this discussion with friends, and I would say to them, if you had a choice between picking the more difficult task of doing play-by-play of a baseball game on radio or doing play-by-play of a baseball game on TV, which one is more difficult? Mm Mm-hmm. And everyone invariably says radio is more difficult. And they're wrong. And the reason they're wrong is very simple. Television, the picture already exists, so you don't have to paint the picture. You have to fill in the blanks on the picture that the other people aren't seeing. Mm -hmm. In radio, 
your task is to paint the whole picture. Right. Because there is no visual. The beauty of that, though, when it's done right, and that's where conciseness and... Conciseness actually is a word that bothers me. The word that I prefer is precision. Yeah. There's precision communication. And, you know, I I would say to students who would write, you know, when I taught, and they would use the word... um, exciting. I said, well, that doesn't tell me anything. Your exciting may not be my exciting. Right. Or they'd say, it's, a, you know, it's, it's the green grass. Well, okay, that gives me an image, but it's green doesn't give me an image because uh, your green may not be my green. And so the challenge is to be not as always, not, yes, concise is always a good thing because it saves time and it, it usually leads to greater clarity. But precision is really the term I look for, because when you have precision in communication, you know, the word choice game, it just changes things so dramatically. I mean, when I write, and I, you know, I've spent a good part of my career doing nothing but writing, the loneliest kind of communication in the world, because you spend, you spend months writing something, and then, you know, editors work on it, and a publisher publishes it, and then you never see the reaction of the people reading it, which is just the most frustrating thing in the world, but... Right, you just see the edits. <laughs> you just see the edits, which make me crazy anyway. But when I see a, a document that I've written or saw a book I've written or whatever it might be, and and I look at the language, I always play the game with myself. If I read it today, how would I change the language? Right. And one of the things I used to teach clients and students as well is word choice. Yeah. The more precise you are with your word choice, the the more you can do in the shorter space so that does lead to your it's a it's a process i guess it's it's precision it's choice leading to precision of choice leading to concision and then the ultimate phrase we had a client once and the problem they had is they had too many offerings and it wasn't a problem for them it was actually the basis of their success they had a great number of offerings and they had great numbers of audiences. And the problem was, how do you boil that down to a message that's shorter than 19 paragraphs, right. which is what their corporate descriptor was? Well, I was terrible at math, but the only thing I remember from algebra was the term LCD, yeah. the least common denominator, or lowest common denominator. And in writing, you sometimes need to default to the LCD, mm-hmm. the lowest common denominator. So we ended up with this client, which was all things to many people, or many things to all people, depending on how you looked at it, calling it your source. Right. And just leaving it at that, because then you could put almost anything after that. Your source for blah, 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 blah. Right. Your source for blah, 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 blue. And so that was, that's, I think, an example of being precise and yet being as broad as you can. Right. Does that make any sense? Yeah, I I, I think it's it's interesting. It's, it's certainly a lot better than 19 paragraphs, right? Yeah, well, this is the thing. You look at some of these corporations with their descriptors, you know, and they, well, we do this, and we do this, and then we do this. Oh, and by the way, we can do this, and then we do this, and then by the time you're in the ninth, we do this, you want to go, okay, so you don't do anything well. You do a lot of stuff in a mediocre way, and that's the signal that that sends. So which brings me to the next level of communication, which is not so much the word choice and phrasing, 
but the hidden signals, and this is something I spent a lot of time on when I consulted. Corporations and clients often don't see their hidden communication, the hidden flaws in their communication. That's what a good consultant, I think, can do. Is you look at it and you go, "What is you know, what is this? What is your inability to articulate concisely or articulate precisely doing to you? And does that become the message there for?" Right. So does the does the you know we used to talk about the medium and the message. Does the message trump the medium, or does the medium trump the message? In this case, I used to say to clients, "Does your is your message just a mess?" <laughs> And is that becoming a message? So your mess becomes your message, and that's the problem. But it's all wrapped in one ball. Yeah, it sometimes communicates what the company is about, even inadvertently, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, uh, it's very funny. There's this picture online of President Trump sitting at an empty desk. <laughs> well, there are two arguments about what that what that signals. One is he's got nothing to do, or he's just so efficient that he cleaned off his desk. Yeah. Yeah, and and you know what does that picture tell you? I mean, I I hope it's the former, not the latter, because my desk is a mess. So, I hope that means I'm really busy. If you've recovered from COVID nineteen or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have antibodies that could help COVID nineteen patients. Donate blood and receive testing for COVID nineteen antibodies. Visit vitalant.org today. Yeah, and I think in in marketing and communications, it's it, uh, speaking about language. It's a lot about what you leave out rather than what you put in, right? So making making ruthless uh, editing choices in a you know a description of a company or in anything is is really a critical decision. Well, this goes back. The, your the answer to what you just said is absolutely correct, but this goes back to what I said at the very top, which is. Who's your audience? What do they need to know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what do they need to know? What do they know and what do they need to know is a three-step. And the reason you have to ask that is exactly what you were just saying. The tendency to overwrite and overexplain, which most marketers fall into, it has to be avoided. But if you've answered that core question right at the top, then I don't have to explain it. I, I used to give my class an assignment, which on the surface seems so patently easy and absurd that, my God, why would you do that? But then when you try to do it, and I would suggest people try this, um, William Shakespeare has come back to life, and he has arrived on your front lawn, mm-hmm. and he needs to get to the Globe Theater. Well, you can't take him, but you're willing to lend him your car. What do you need to explain to him to get him to drive your car <laughs> a lot <laughs> exactly and you think yeah. about how simple it is for us to say well here are the keys to my car take it and drive there well if i'm william shakespeare I go, well a key i know what a key is but what's a car right it's it's that thing over there okay well what is that thing well it's a vehicle and it, it's a mode of transportation ah great how does it move well it has an engine well, what's an engine where's the horse the, yeah Where's the horse? It's a piece of the engine is a piece of mechanism that turns. I see. And but you need gas for it. Okay, what's gas? Yeah. Oh, by the way, put your seatbelt on. <laughs> or if you want to have even more fun with a client, say to them, "Okay, uh, give me driving directions from here to the corner." Right. And people say, "Well, you get in the car, you start it, and you drive to the corner." 
okay, how do I start your car? Right. What do I do with the key? Where do I sit? So you start thinking about what this audience is, and and, and suddenly it it changes dramatically in terms of what you need to express to them and how you need to express it. So which brings us to the next level in this whole thing that I used to go through with clients, which is what is the language that will resonate with that audience? This goes now, you see the layering of this actually Mm -hmm. when I do Mm -hmm. it this way. You start thinking about that and you say, okay, well, does that language resonate with this audience? And if it doesn't, what language do I need to use to resonate with this audience? And so you, you, you get into this sort of rhythm of asking questions to seek your method of communicating. And that's one of right. the great challenges. Yeah. One of the great, great challenges. I mean, you, you tell, I, I used to tell students, write me instructions for anything. You know how hard it is to write instructions? Yeah. I mean, have, write, write down a page of instructions for making a peanut butter sandwich. <laughs> a simple thing. Seemingly. Simplest thing. It becomes so complicated. So then you say, okay, if the simplest thing is that complicated, because I need to know. And I said to my students, you can assume I know what a sandwich is, and you can assume I know what all the ingredients are. But now I want you to tell me how to do it. Right. And the simplest motion becomes very hard to to describe. Open the jar. Okay. How do I do that? Do I take a hammer? And smash it open. Well, that won't be very good for my peanut butter, will it? Right. So I don't know. They, they, you get into these levels of complexities. And I, I remember when I would work with clients, I would think this stuff all through before I talked to them. And I realized in my own presentation to them how often I would leave them in the dust just thinking about the simplest thing. On the surface, it seems like the simplest thing in the world. But when you start really thinking through the processes of description and instruction, and language and tone and all that, it becomes very complicated. Clients get freaked out (laughs) when you start revealing all that to them. So the challenge for a good communications person, frankly, isn't so much communicating that as it is to not have to communicate that, but to get the client to understand that the communication has to be relevant and timely and this goes back to radio. I mean, your yeah. point right at the top of this is so well taken because, you know, the, the, the best on-air people I've always believed have two qualities. They're interested and they're interesting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, well, good communication is exactly that. Right. You know, it, good communication is exactly about being interesting. Because if, if it's not interesting, why, do I, why should I consume it? Right. Tony, that kind of brings me to my last question, which is about being back in radio after doing all this consulting and teaching and so forth. What have you brought from marketing and messaging that you did over the last you know, decade or so back into radio when you came back to WCRB? Well, that one's less easy for me to understand. I'll tell you why. So my view of communication evolved over a long period of time. Sure, sure. As a somebody who has touched every form of communication, you know, when I write, I'm very precise with my language. As my agent once said to me, you're not the greatest writer I have, but you may be the most versatile. <laughs> 
And I kind of took that as like, you know, you're you're a good sixth player on a basketball team and you're my utility infielder on a baseball team, which sort of upset me. You come off the bench and sink the free throws, Tony. That's what you do. Right. Right. Yeah. But that, that you know, that's in fantasy land. <laughs> so I, I, I remember looking at him and saying, uh, I'm not sure that was a compliment. <laughs> and, you know, he said, well, look at the things you've written. They're all over the place. So then I go in, you know, I leave radio and I, I, I what did I do? I ran festivals. I did other things. And then I went back to radio. And then I left radio a second time and went to corporate communication consulting. And then I did a whole bunch of other stuff, taught, blah, 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 and came back to radio. And so you say to yourself at this juncture in what has become an endlessly long career, <laughs> what is it that I have brought from one to the other? And which is the question you're asking me. And you've you made me think about it more than I probably ever have. But the answer really is what I've brought across the spectrums is this same underpinning of good communication. And whether it's written or spoken or visual or on radio or in a book or in a magazine or on the web, is the communication has to be interesting and relevant. Right. Um, and it has to be done in a way that is enticing. Um, I, I, I sometimes, and I'm in that mood today, so I'll default to it. I sometimes default to food analogies. Restaurants serve different kinds of food, and those foods serve different kinds of purposes. There are restaurants I go to because I'm comfortable in the venue. Well, that's one form of communication. That's comfort. There are other restaurants I may go to where I may be less comfortable in the venue, but the food is so good that it makes up for my discomfort. Mm -hmm. Well, communication is the same calculation. It's am I more comfortable in this venue or out of this venue or and. Am I more comfortable or less comfortable within this form of communication? And ultimately, though, to get to your core question is, what did I bring back to radio from corporate communications? A much better sense of audience engagement. Because in corporate communication consulting, I had to figure out different audiences all the time. I had one client who... We once tried to do an inventory of the number of audiences they need to reach. And when we got to about 32 discrete <laughs> audiences, I said, okay, I don't care how many more there are. That's enough to deal with. Right. And you look at these 32 discrete audiences, and then the problem is, where is their crossover within those audiences? Mm-hmm. And when you get to looking at the crossover within those audiences, you start realizing, aha, this is why uniformity and consistency of message is so important. Right. Because you could send one kind of communication to audience X and a different communication to audience Y, assuming those are two different audiences, but there is a very small group that is an audience that is XY. Yeah. The old Venn diagram. It's that little section in the middle. Yep. You know, the union between A and B becomes AB. Well, so that audience that is AB suddenly is being subjected to two different forms of communication. Well, nothing is more damaging to a product or a client or a, if there are conflicting forms of communication. So we spent a lot of time with clients trying to explain that you can be subtly different in a message, 
Mm-hmm. Maybe you look at a different aspect of the story, but you cannot be inconsistent. Right. And that is one of the things that I think I brought back to radio when I came back is the need for consistency mm-hmm. across day parts, across so that the station has a what we call a stationality. It's a terrible word. Mm-hmm. Um, back in the day when I was at QXR you know, 35 years ago, we used to have a thing is, what is the weather forecast for each radio station? And what you meant by that is, does your radio station sound like a cloudy day or a sunny day, a rainy day <laughs> or a snowy day? And I, I found that somewhat helpful in terms of you know defining our sound or what we were. I then evolved that same concept and and said, well, why don't we equate to other brands? Right. And so the one I like most is hotel brands, because most people know, you know, a a sampling of different hotels. And and you can look at brands of hotels and understand. So on one end, you've got, you know, Motel 6 or Red Roof Inn, whatever you want. That's sort of your, your bottom rung. And I, yes, I know there are brands that are below that, but I'm using that as the bottom rung for now. Yeah, yeah. There's Joe's Trailer Park. Okay. <laughs> then there's Red Roof Inn. Or, but okay, it sends a signal. And at the high, high end, you have the Four Seasons or the Ritz, mm-hmm. you know, uh, or some boutique hotel in down in Soho in Manhattan where I can't even figure out which is the urinal and which is the sink. That's the whole other <laughs> level. They're too trendy for me, and they're dark. Yep. yep. Okay, so that's the top end. But in the middle, you have a spectrum of brands. And what I've done in my head is said to myself, when I build a radio station or when a radio station is being developed, what hotel brand does it look like? Right. And what hotel brand does it sound like? And... You know, by doing that, you you start identifying certain things. Well, there's this phrase we use for 99.5, which is we have to be authentic. You can't be phony. And that, by the way, is true of all brands. But the the two key words for WCRB were casually elegant. Yeah. So then I equate that to hotels. Well, uh, I don't know if you've ever stayed in a Ritz or a Four Seasons, but they are not casual. They are elegant. Yeah. And they are fussy. But if you come down a couple of notches to a Marriott, it's casually elegant. The the towels are a nice thickness. The rooms are comfortable, you know. But they're, they're not that fussy. And you take it down a notch below that, and maybe you're at a courtyard or a Holiday Inn or sure, you know. All of a sudden, you're in a, in a different zone. But radio stations need to know which of those brands yeah. they are, and you can use any you know any product to identify the brands. But you need to know. And you need to identify it. And then you need to look at what the attributes are of that brand and then what the benefits are of that brand. And then how do I translate that into radio terms? So that may be the biggest thing I brought back was developing this sense of stationality through branding. Yeah. And I think it's helped. I think it's, it's helped. Oh, it's really an, an interesting approach, Tony. Well, it's wor- I've, I've fooled them <laughs> long enough. So Keep at it. <laughs> We, we try, we try. Yeah, Tony, I really want to thank you for being a guest here on Confessions of a Marketer. It is my pleasure. I've, I've, I now feel like I've absolved of all my sins. <laughs> <laughs> At least the ones I admit to. So. Right. Oh my, that, that's what we should do is have absolution for marketing sins. Now that would be quite something. 
want to thank Tony for joining me on Confessions of a Marketer. Next time, Julie Zadow on being an interim CMO, so stay tuned. This episode of Confessions of a Marketer was written, produced, and edited by yours truly. T. Jordan of A-Class Productions wrote the theme music. Confessions of a Marketer is a trademark of Reed Edwards Global Inc. And this episode is copyright 2018. I'm Mark Reed Edwards. See you next time. You stay home for the greater good. Secondhand smoke doesn't. It drifts through cracks in walls, air vents, and sink drains, spreading toxic chemicals that can damage lungs. Secondhand vape also puts your lungs at risk, even with the fruity smells. Protect yourself and the people around you from these secondhand dangers. Learn how at tobaccofreeca.com.